Greetings, grave robbers, and welcome back to the television graveyard. I am your TV necromancer, TV's Noah Houlihan. We have gathered here tonight to exhume the bodies of past television shows to decide which ones could be resurrected, should be resurrected, and which ones should just stay doomed. This will be a podcast where we look back at television shows that ran only one season. And this is the Blood Drive! This is a very special solo edition. Uh, Lara is away on a business trip, so she has left me alone here in the television graveyard to talk to you. So I decided that I wanted to exhume a body that she never wanted exhumed. And I would take you on a very different journey. We put it out to the patrons which body I should exhume. And they have voted for Blood Drive, a show on the SIFI network, not sci-fi. The SIFI network, S-Y, F-Y, SIFI. <laughs> and this is a show that I've seen before but have not gotten the chance to revisit, and I was very excited to do this. So before we get deep into it, let's pour one out. What do you got there, Noah? Well, Noah, I have trioxide. What I have decided to do is I started with a vanilla black cherry seltzer. Basically, I have the black heart of grace, and the vanilla white knight that is Arthur. And I mix those together as our base. And then I added some blood in the form of grenadine. Because grenadine kind of sounds like gasoline. I thought that was kind of clever. And then I have a sidecar of creme de mint, which is green. And gives this drink its kick. I thought this one was pretty clever. Let's get down the hatch. It's good. I uh, I took a little bit longer than I wanted to to set up, so it's a little warm. <laughs> but uh, other than that, it's a tasty, tasty beverage. So now I'm going to take you down the road of Blood Drive. If you want to watch Blood Drive, uh, you can watch it on Amazon Prime if you have a VPN, because it's not available in our country. Or you can buy it on Google, which is what I did. And I highly recommend this show. Uh, to make this a little special, I also spent some time uh, with our wonderful patrons in the exclusive Stay Doomed uh, Discord channel, and we watched the first two episodes together. So I have some of their input mixed in here with these uh, episodes. This is going to be a two-parter. I have the first seven episodes here. Editor Noah here, going to jump in and explain something that Noah already screwed up. Uh, we're going to try something new with uh, with Blood Drive because it's it's a bit longer than I expected uh, it coming out. This is going to be a three-parter, but part one will come out on Wednesday. Part two will come out on Friday. So we're going to try, since it's going to be more parts than we thought and we want to do like certain things with the schedule and we don't want to run too close to Razzie Month, which is coming, uh, there will be an episode uploaded on Friday. So now you know. Now, on with the show. Uh, it's going to be a long one, so I'm going to talk really fast because we have a lot to get through because I love this show. 
Spoilers, I love this show. There's so much good in this show that I can't wait to talk to you guys about, so let's get into it. This has one of my absolute favorite openings. It opens with a stage, because what we're about to watch is a show. And we are greeted by a voice that we will later, later learn is the god of the stage, Jeremiah Slink. The executives assigned to this show decided to test it in Jersey. As a result, they think you mouth breathers are too stupid to understand my masterpiece. So listen up, dum-dums, and let me set the stage. The world is broken. No one has any food. Oil costs 2000 a barrel, and the only way out of this shitty life is a secret road race with a $10 million cash prize. But there's a twist. All the cars run on human blood. Welcome to Blood Drive. What a great way to warm my heart by, by starting this in New Jersey. But he basically breaks down. You guys are too stupid, so here's the rules. It's a cross-country race, and all of the cars run on human blood. We then start with, as, uh, as the patrons called it, a Megan Fox type, which was a black-haired, sexy woman working on a car. And some dude bros kind of roll up. Now, it's important to remember from what we heard, gas is $2,000 a barrel. So when these car, this car drives up, we have to assume that these are rich guys because they have a car that is running. And these two guys are interested in this girl with this beautiful red car with the license plate that reads Karma. That will be important later. She is uninterested. So she tries to leave and they have a bit of a race. When the dude bros catch her, he specifically says... I just wasted $500 of gas chasing you down. Which is great flavor for what this world is. He then tries to force himself on her. And it turns out this was a ploy that she was hoping for. She grabs this weapon, which is an, an eight ball on a metal pole with a blade at the end. And stabs this dude. Uh, and <laughs> takes him. And feeds him to the engine. <laughs> she pops the hood. And, like, the engine growls and, like, has all these, like, grindy things in it. And she just feeds him to the car and blood comes out everywhere. And the dude bro that was with this guy, the, the secondary dude bro, is like, oh, my God, what did you do? Grace, the girl we will know as Grace, covered in blood, is just like, I had to fill my car up. And he's like, please, let me go. Let me go. <laughs> and she says, Sorry, pal. Gotta top off. We then see her driving into L.A. with a sign that says, L.A., we're full. Fuck off. <laughs> and then... We see this dude bro re-enter the shot, missing an arm, screaming. And that is the opening to Blood Drive. And I love it. I love that this didn't pull any punches. 
and was upfront with what this show is. This is a grindhouse show. It is going to be gory, it's going to be dirty and filthy and intense and violent. If they softballed it in the beginning, people might invest and think, oh, it's gonna get better and stuff like that. If this turns you off in the first couple minutes, that's fine. Because this show isn't for you. And it knows that. And rather than making you grit your teeth and kind of stay with it, it's opening up with, this is what the show is. If you want to get out, get out now. Which I appreciate. I don't think it's like mean-spirited or anything. It's just very much a, we're not going to lie to you. This is what the show is. Hop on board. Love that about this show. Uh, so I actually should mention this. I should have mentioned this earlier. Uh, language is going to be much harsher in this episode because it has to be. There's a lot of profanity in this. And I want to stress this over and over again. This show was on TV. I believe it aired at midnight on the Sci-Fi Channel. And uh, this is this is back when maybe ECW was on the air still. So I think I might have been more aware of it. But I remember there was definitely a lot of advertisements for this show on Monday Night Raw. <laughs> and man, what a show this is. I, I would like to, again, say, you know, that that like opening sequence really shows what this show is. So I understand if you want to get off now. If you want to stay on, I highly recommend you go watch this show because it is so much fun. Uh, and I'm about to spoil all of it. So let's go. We then meet uh, who will be our secondary main protagonist, Arthur. Arthur is joined by his uh, cohort, Christopher. Now, the patrons immediately identify Christopher as a man who will die soon, which I thought was funny. Uh, I would like to say that our page, my patrons that watch this, when they were watching this, were immediately in. Then the moment the guy forced himself on the girl, we're immediately out. And then when the guy got fed to the car, we were immediately back in. That was the roller coaster journey. And we were only five minutes in. So there's a lot more going on here. Uh, so Arthur and Chris are not cops. They look like cops. They dress like cops. They smell like cops. But they actually work for a company called Contra Crime, which means against crime. I know that from the video game Contra. And... They meet these kind of vagabonds who are stealing water. They're committing water crimes. And thus, they beat the hell out of these guys for stealing water. And as they're fighting them, uh, their list of crimes is being, sa are being said in a robotic voice behind them. So, <laughs> Christopher punches a guy. And they add the charge, aggravated assault. The guy hits the ground and spits his teeth out, and they add the crime of littering. Oh, what great world building we have here. Uh, however, Arthur is, is a little bit more of a softer touch. And basically, he notices that the guy who's just trying to steal water so he can live has track marks on his arm. And they mention, very specifically, heroin no longer exists. And the main drug is called Red Rapture. 
but you can't take it intravenously. It has to be smoked. Great little bit of world building here. Arthur sees this and is kind of like, tell me what those track marks are and kind of get some information about this warehouse that he wants to investigate. Arthur gives him, turns off his camera and gives the guy some water and he runs off. So we're trying to establish that Arthur is the good guy. It's a great way to establish that. We get back to uh, where the, the like headquarters, like the police station, and this, uh, this black girl is like the chief. It, it gave me kind of a Carmen Sandiego vibes, except she has a jar full of teeth like she's Danhausen. And she's demanding <laughs> that the jar be full of teeth. Hey, St. Arthur. What about you? Those are from both of us. Must have collected these while your camera was off today. Must have. This is the only thing that'll impress me. Ten teeth by Friday, or I'll have yours instead. So we learn that Contra Crime is being encouraged to be savagely beating these people. Like, this world is run on the cops, or not the cops, Contra Crime, uh, leading through fear. And Christopher's all about it. He's all about, you know, doing his job. I think they get a vacation or something when they fill the jar of teeth. Arthur explains to his partner, Christopher, that when he was young, he had committed a small crime just to, to survive. And the cop let him go. And he always remembered that. It was vital that the, the cop let him go and he learned that, you know, Kind of like Aladdin, sometimes you got to steal to eat, got to eat to live. So instead of just like working the beat, he wants to investigate this warehouse because clearly something bad is happening here. He convinces him to go on this to this warehouse and they find an insane party. It says mayhem in giant letters. Uh, it's people are naked. Like, I, I want to express how naked people are in this show. Uh, there are black center uh, sensor bars that block out genitalia and women's nipples. But other than that, it is a free for all. Uh, there are there's sex happening. It is insane. And we are then welcomed to the blood drive by the god of the stage, Jeremiah Slink, who is my favorite character. I remember when I first watched this, I immediately wanted to make a Slink cosplay. Uh, but it, it wasn't popular enough that people would get it, and it was a lot of hard work. Uh, Slink is, he's like a dirty ringmaster. Like, he's got the top hat, and he's got, like, frilly clothes, but his teeth are black, and his fingers are black. In the way that, like, that Agatha Harkless, Harkness is, 
has the, the black fingers in uh, WandaVision. Like he does magic or something and he's corrupted by it. I, I don't quite understand the black fingers. I'm gonna do a little bit of research. I don't think he has frostbite or anything, but there's something up with his fingers. He then explains. Implanted at the base of the skull of it, barbaric. Perhaps shamefully pedantic, without a doubt. But by golly, it won't be the trick. Anyone trying to remove the posture? Instant brain jelly. That it is a cross country race that. If you are the last person across the finish line for each stop, you are killed. And implanted in their heads are these bombs that, are, that go into the base of the neck. And basically, that's what he uses to control you. He can shock you through them, and he can kill you through them with this like remote control box here. Also, if you are racing with a partner, if you are separated from your partner by too much of a distance, it will kill you. We then meet some of the racers. Uh, we meet Ribbone. We meet Dom and Cliff, which look like just your average married couple. We meet the gentleman and the scholar. The gentleman is like an older gentleman with like fine clothes. And the scholar is this short, kind of strange looking chap who looks like, kind of gives off the vibes of like Luca from Chrono Trigger. Like clearly someone who like tinkers with things and also has that like weird circular helmet cap thing. Uh, so they're a team. There's also Clown Dick, who is a clown with a massive like strap on. Uh, there's Fat Elvis, good old Fat Elvis and while all this is happening, uh, Christopher and Arthur split up. While Christopher's like trying to get back up, Arthur ends up like in this party and like announces that he's arresting everybody and everyone just kind of laughs. So Arthur is fighting everybody off, ends up near Grace, the girl with uh, the, the karma car, and Slink grabs Arthur and... The, the rest of his team grab Arthur, and they're like, well, we got a boy in blue here. What are we going to do? Is he friend or is he fuel? On the one hand, it works for Contra Crack, the new breed of cop. Now, they're trying to figure out if what he had done, the fight he just had, was entertaining enough to spare his life. And Slink decides it would be more fun to force him to race. So he puts the chip into Arthur's head and into Grace and makes them partners. So they're forced to be partners. <laughs> so 
Uh, Arthur doesn't want to do it. He wants to arrest everybody. Uh, so the race starts and Grace is trying to explain to Arthur what he's just signed up for. It's like, this is the blood drive. The winner of this becomes the primo and is given a cash prize of $10 million. $10 million. $10 million. You know, like a thousand times less than what was up at the last Mega Millions. $10 million. But in this world, $10 million is a whole lot because the world is not in the best shape at this point. We will get into explanation of why. Grace also explains that with $10 million, she can get her sister back. That is her main uh, goal. She doesn't mention her sister's name yet, but it will be important later. Arthur doesn't care. Arthur wants to arrest all these people because they were killing people. And he's confused on how they can afford the gasoline for this. And... <laughs> Grace explains, oh, the cars run on human blood. And he is shocked. <laughs> he yells, those people were fuel? And the patrons go, yeah, Arthur. They yelled that at you. Remember the whole friend or fuel thing that happened moments ago? Also, didn't you see all those people being fed to cars? So <laughs> we we then have uh, Arthur uh, tries to uh, leave the car. Like he just jumps out and tries to run away. And as soon as they do that, it starts to burn in the back of their bombs. Like they start to feel like an electric charge. But Arthur's still trying to want, run away. So Grace has to go after him and get him back in the car so they don't die. And when this happens... Skillet starts playing, which uh, our patron Amos then yells, this is a Christian rock band. <laughs> and this song is clearly about Jesus with that context, but it's being played over the bloodiest show I've ever seen. <laughs> they, they pick up Arthur. Uh, it should be mentioned. Uh, I, I think I, I left out a, a major part of this story here, and I apologize Christopher ends up teaming up with this girl, Aki, who works at the... She's another police officer, and she's, like, odd. There's something off about Aki. Uh, she has weird eyes, and she just seems, like, strange. The whole time, the, the patrons are yelling about how if blood is fuel, why are they being so inefficient with getting the blood? Like, feeding the, the people to the car, they all end up covered in blood, and that's fuel that's not going in the tank. While Christopher is investigating uh, this location with Aki, this other detective, they find out that there is this human fracking facility. It's these people hooked up with tubes that they're extracting blood from. 
So there are, there is a factory somewhere that's doing this efficiently. Aki then turns on Christopher and it's like, I led you right into my trap. Do you like it? They made it especially for you, Christopher. And you fucked up. Should've just kidnapped me instead of tricking me down here. Where's the fun in that? Chris pull, pushes Aki, Aki into the wall and she gets skewered on a piece of pipe that then leaks like pretty colors. Look, you made me wet. And it turns out Aki's a robot. Christopher turns around to find another Aki because there are multiple Aki robots. This one dressed as a dominatrix. <laughs> this Aki knocks out uh, Christopher and we then find out Christopher is basically kidnapped. He's naked, he's lost an eye, and he's under the, the like, patrolling of Aki, who's like, welcome to Heart Enterprises. Meanwhile, the race is continuing on. Uh, we see that... Uh, they're driving down and they're worried they're going to run out of gas soon. As they're going, they see a bunch of cheerleaders. And Grace is like, ooh, fuel. And they're like, no, 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 we don't do that. And they kind of have an argument. It then turns out that rib bone has gotten them. Uh, and I notice Ribbone has a very interesting jacket on that I made a note of just kind of as on a whim. It turns out this may be important later. Uh, his vest looks like Roman Reigns' flank jacket when he was in the shield. Like it has that weird thing up the spine that looks like kind of like armor. Ribbone wore that first. <laughs> uh, Ribbone has the cheerleaders. Uh, so Arthur tries to save these cheerleaders. Now, it is a rule that you can't directly kill another racer. Like, you can't just murder them. Granted, if you're, like, racing and you kind of, like, bump into each other and it causes a crash, that's part of the race. But you can't just, like, stab them. So Arthur, being a hero, uh, tries to save these cheerleaders, and beats up Ribbone. This ends up with the scholar and the gentleman showing up uh, because Arthur kinda, Arthur's car uh, has some sort of trouble. Uh, so they make a deal that the scholar will fix Grace's car. And I, I've, I don't know what <laughs> allows them to, to get leverage over the gentleman. But the scholar is going to fix Grace's car so they can go. And the gentleman promises not to kill the cheerleaders that Ribbone has uh, already killed one of. And the gentleman says, as a gentleman, I will honor a gentleman's agreement. Grace and Arthur leave. The scholar admits that the car will break down in like an hour. And the gentleman says... Ladies, 
Unfortunately, your lives are not mine to take. Your tongue and your fingers. So basically, he lets them live, but tortures them and uses their bodies to fuel his car. So, as they're driving, they now know that Ribbone and uh, the scholar are and the gentleman are behind them. Grace is like, we're way behind. It's like, well, no. <laughs> You've only established that there are six teams, and two of them are behind you. Like, you're in the middle of the pack. We As they're flying down the road, we see some other people make it. Clown Dick. Clown Dick's going to be okay, guys. I know you guys were worried. Clown Dick makes it. Fat Elvis makes it. Uh, Dom and Cliff make it. And we realize they're driving a hybrid. They have a Prius. So their car runs on blood and electricity. <laughs> How efficient. Uh, and then we see, like, there's this big board. So apparently there are tons of racers. We've just only been established with these six. So apparently these six teams are the important ones. There's other teams, though. Just so, like, when they say they're way behind, it's like, okay, there are, like, 17 teams ahead of them. That makes more sense. So they're desperately trying to get across the finish line. And the car breaks. And... <laughs> Sorry, it just makes me giggle. Uh, the car's broken down, and they can't get it up to speed. All of a sudden, Ribbone flies by them. All of a sudden, the gentleman in the scholar flies by them. So now they know they're last, and they see the uh, uh, the, the finish line in the, the background. So they know they're pretty much doomed. And it's not like they can take... The, uh, the microchip out of their heads because it's fused with their spine. The moment they try to do that, it will explode. The only weakness that they have been told about is the idea that too much adrenaline will overload them. So they decide to have sex. <laughs> and Grace yells, do me or die. So as they're flying down the road, they try to, they kind of basically end up doing a crank. Remember the movie Crank? Where they're flying down the road and they're like doing fishtails to get it like scarier. And they're having like rougher and rougher sex to keep the adrenaline as high as possible. And just as the other team crosses the finish line, they are at like high Adrenaline and it shorts out their bombs, and Slink can't kill them as they fishtail across the finish line. And Slink says, I enjoyed your little show, and that is the only reason I won't kill you. But this error has been fixed. <laughs> you can't bang your way out of it next time. And that's how the show ends. That's how the first episode ends. It ends with Grace and Arthur in last place surviving through sex and adrenaline while Christopher is naked and lost in heart enterprises under the control of a robot named Aki. Did you get all that? <laughs> uh, I here we paused and I asked the patrons what they thought. 
And Xavier's reaction was, I'm going to try to do my best to, to reenact it. I, uh, it, yeah, <gasps> whatever this is. <laughs> so that's the first episode. We haven't even gotten to the, the things that I think make this show special. So we're going to just keep plowing through with episode two. Episode two, uh, Welcome to Pixie Swallow. Uh, opens at a diner. Uh, it turns out that there's not a lot of uh, cattle anymore. So there is a diner with a very sexy waitress uh, that is serving cannibal burgers. They're also killing people and turning them into food. So we're turning... So again, just the parallel here of people are food, people are fuel. The... Fantastic bit of uh, social commentary here is basically what happens when gas becomes so expensive it is worth more than a human life. That's that's the world right now, and like this was created during the gas prices uh, crisis where we were really worried and we're back there again, where gas prices were becoming insane. What if gas became more ex more expensive that it was valued more than people? And that's where we are. And I think that's a brilliant concept. I think that's a very interesting uh, thought. And uh, we're going to plow on through this. Uh, so we then learn that uh, Grace is doing this for her sister. Her sister's name is Karma, which is why that's the license plate. So she's looking for, so it's Grace and Karma. The blood drive is being watched. We see that there's cameras in every car, and we think this is mainly for Slink, since Slink is the person in charge and is watching every move. But we find out that there is a person in a white suit that's watching. And we get, like, the Dr. Claw shot. We see their one arm as they sit and watch Blood Drive. And that's all the information we're given. We then see at Slink Enterprises, or not, at Heart Enterprises, Slink has been called in for a meeting. And despite the fact that Slink's in charge of this blood drive, which seems to be so psychotic and outlaw, he's now being brought in because Heart Enterprises has everything to do with the blood drive. Also, Arthur has learned that Contra Crime, works for Hart. Hart Enterprises owns both the Blood Drive and Contra Crime. So he's still under the employ, in a way, of Hart Enterprises. So Hart Enterprises is our, our big bad, our big bad company that's, that's overseeing all this stuff. Uh, it should be noted, uh, I didn't go into great detail about this, but my notes might get confusing if I don't mention this. Uh, Arthur's name is Arthur, uh, but... Grace thinks he looks like a Ken doll, so Arthur is often referred to as Barbie in this. Just want to bring that up. So Slink is desperately trying to get to this meeting and uh, is met by a receptionist who won't give him the time of day, and he's just stuck waiting in a waiting room. So Slink is a bit sidelined right now. Uh... As he's waiting, he meets uh, this odd gentleman 
named Mr. Scuttle, I believe his name was, who's like in a, he's dressed nicely. He's not like in a full suit, but he has a tie and he's nervous. So he starts talking to Slink about how he's been called in for a promotion because they're looking to replace somebody. And Slink realizes it's his job. So Slink is just sitting there waiting to get called in basically to fight for his own job while the next candidate is this annoying stiff that won't stop talking to him. They called me in for an interview. I'm a bit nervous, to be honest. Heart rate's elevated too. 200 beats a minute. I count it. Feel Yeah. Hmm? You feel it? I heard some guy really blew it. Huge mess of things. So they're looking to replace him. They called me. Fingers crossed. We then see Grace and Arthur. Uh, we're not in the race mode. They're at one of the like pit stops. So while they're at the pit stop, they are at the diner, the cannibal diner. And while they're at the cannibal diner, Arthur slips away to call Christopher. So he uses a payphone to get Christopher's phone number. And Christopher's message is, this is so stupid, but I love it. Hey, it's Chris Carpenter. Leave a message after the beep. Beep. Hey, it's me. I hope you're all right, man. Just kidding, that was me. Here it is, for real. Get ready for the beep. Christopher. Listen, we're in deep shit, man. <laughs> Just kidding, that was me again. Leave a message! God damn it, Christopher, I told you to change that. Which is a great little bit of writing there. Because what that implies is kind of the friendship between the two, the joking nature of Christopher, and the fact that this isn't the first time Arthur fell for it. Like, the fact that he says, I told you to change this, means he's already fallen for it once and yelled at Christopher for it. And then he just falls for it again! That is a great bit of character work, that, like, Arthur has the great greatest of intentions, but he is a very stupid man. And it's hard for him to realize that he is being manipulated. Keep that in mind, folks. Speaking of Christopher, Christopher gets uh, orientation into Hart. And Aki explains what Hart does. And this has a fantastic bit of like storytelling here. Uh, we learned that there was, there was a great earthquake in the center of America due to fracking, which means that we were desperate for fuel. And the fracking caused a huge rip in America known simply as the scar. So there is a big scar in the center of America due to our desperation for gasoline. Beautiful storytelling. Aki wants to um, indoctrinate Christopher into working for Hart now that he's been kidnapped. And Christopher says, I'm not joining your company's small wonder. And small wonder is a sitcom that I used to watch in syndication, I don't know when it originally aired, about a robot girl. Like, it's about a family that builds a daughter, basically. 
It's such a weird reference to have in this type of show. And it also seems like so dated of a reference. I'm going to bring this up again later. But it just seemed, it, it very much stuck out in my brain. Uh, Christopher's told that he can leave. So he leaves. And now he's loose in hard enterprises. I think I said that happened in the first episode. It doesn't happen in the first episode. It happens now. He's kidnapped by Aki, Aki, Iki, Aki, whatever her name is. Uh, And then in the second episode, he is told he's free to leave. And he just starts wandering around hard enterprises. So Fat Elvis is at the diner. We're back at the diner. And he's just kind of stealing food because he's Fat Elvis. Uh, he ends up wandering back into the kitchen and they do some great character work with who this diner is. It is the father who's like the butcher who's doing all the killing, the sexy waitress, which is his daughter, who's like can convince people to buy this food and like hide the fact that they're eating people. And then the daughter's husband, like, so there's like this father-in-law, son-in-law dynamic where this father will never believe that this son-in-law is good enough for his daughter. So there's contention there. Uh, And we see a scene. This is a great, wonderfully shot moment. I really want you guys to pay attention to to me gushing over how well this is shot. They take Fat Elvis and they string him upside down. They tell, uh, the father tells the son-in-law to go mop the floors. He walks out the door so the door keeps swinging, opening, and closing. And every time it closes and then opens again, more of Fat Elvis has been removed. And then it closes and then an arm's gone. And then it closes and his jaw's gone. And the son-in-law is just slowly cleaning the floors. Beautifully shot. Such an effective moment. Christopher is, meanwhile, Christopher is walking through Hart. He's kind of like looking at maps and things look a little strange to him. Remember, he's lost an eye. So he's like, he's everything's kind of like drawing his attention in weird ways to the point where it almost looks, looks highlighted to him. So he's kind of looking through all these different, uh, the different areas until the point where he actually finds his phone, but it, he doesn't have service. We see the gentleman have sex with the scholar. Uh, I just had to bring that up. Um, but they're, they're on the rocks. Uh, the gentleman is basically using the scholar for his mind and his inventions to fund his lifestyle. And he constantly reminds the scholar how disgusting he is so that he can wield power over him. Meanwhile... Arthur is constantly going back to the payphone, hoping that Christopher calls. In doing so, he discovers that he's been eating people. We then get the throwing up scene. The camera is placed in the toilet and Arthur throws up directly onto it in one of the most horrifying shots I have ever seen. Uh... The owner of the diner, the father, as I've been calling him, realizes that 
everyone that has rolled in for this blood drive is going to leave soon. So he's gotten their money, and that's a lot of meat that's rolling out. So he calls his cannibal buddies to come in and basically kill all these people so that they have more meat and stuff like that. So a gang of cannibals show up, and they're fighting all the people from the blood drive. So it should be a massacre, but the blood seems to be very artfully done. Like, it's it's not super gory. Every shot is kind of like through a, a lens. It looks great. Uh, so then in one of my favorite moments, Arthur and Grace end up in the room of the gentleman and explain to the gentleman that there's a bunch of cannibals outside uh, and that they're going to kill everybody. And <laughs> the the gentleman's like, why do I care? And Arthur's like, while well, he's eating like soup. <laughs> and Arthur's like, you're going to want to stop eating that. And the gentleman says, give me one reason why. Arthur says, because it's people. <laughs> and the gentleman, wonderfully written, spits the soup out and goes, hmm. No wonder it tasted so pedestrian. Incredible. Incredible. <laughs> also, great restraint on the writers to kill Fat Elvis here and not Clown Dick so they could write the does this taste funny to you joke. Great restraint. Much appreciated. So now there's cannibals everywhere. They need to get out of here. We're at like the highest tension point of the show because there's cannibals everywhere. <laughs> the... Uh, the, the people at the diner know that Arthur knows their secrets. We're at, like, a huge battle. It's time to check back in with Slink, who's in a waiting room. Slink in the waiting room is just so frustrated that he's missing his blood drive right now that the person he's talking to comes back from his interview and says, I got the job. It went great. Oh, man, he starts talking about this life he's going to have now that he's been promoted. And Slink murders him with a briefcase, like smashes his head in, in one of the bloodiest scenes of this episode. Blood is gushing everywhere as this decapitated man now lays on the floor. Another Akibot, because remember, there's many of these, then invites Slink in. He explains to Slink that they were going to kill him, but his latest bit of violence really uh, proved to him to them that, you know, there's value in Slink. And Slink's like, yeah, of course you couldn't give my job to that guy. And Aki's like, he was the new head of maintenance. You killed just a random person. <laughs> Which is a great little bit of flavor. And Aki explains that the old man will not see him today which is the man sitting in the chair watching. We don't know the identity of. But you will remain in charge of the blood drive. Slink says, thank you. And Aki says, you have my word. This year's blood drive will be the nastiest, most gruesome race in hard history. No one puts on a show like Julian Slink. But before you go, we have a few notes. But wait, we have some notes. This is the moment that's going to set up the brilliance of this show. So I really want to stress this. Aki tell, the, an Aki bot, not the same Aki bot that's with Christopher. 
uh, tells Link that there's notes about the show because Blood Drive is coming to television. Heart Enterprises has decided that they are going to air the Blood Drive. We then get a moment where they are fighting their way through uh, the cannibals. Arthur makes his way back to the diner and gets a phone call from Christopher. Christopher finally finds some cell service, calls back the number, and Arthur picks up. They try to connect like Hard Enterprises is evil. They're controlling all of this. They're, they're controlling me. They're controlling you. All this stuff. Uh, we need to find out more information on the blood drive. Christopher turns around and like, oh, there's a file right here. What are the chances the one room with cell service has all the files on blood drive? This is the show kind of winking at the fact that it's convenient and implying that this may also be orchestrated, that they want Arthur to end up with this information, that this is all part of their bigger plan. Love this. Slink is upset that they're going to try to broadcast Blood Drive because it's art. It's Impossible to broadcast, but he's going to do what he can. And we cut back to this huge cannibal blood drive war that's going on. And we see a dog in a truck. And Ribbone sees it and goes, everybody stop. And everybody stops and goes, who left a dog locked in a car with the windows up? And one guy raises his hand. <laughs> Ribbone grabs <laughs> this person by the, the collar and is like, do you know how dangerous this is? Give me your car keys. And he gives him this car key. Ribbone punches him in the throat with the car key and <laughs> looks around and goes, proceed. The fight continues. And Ribbone grabs this little tiny dog out of the truck. And it's like, it's okay. I got you now. And then it says Caligula underneath. So now Caligula, the dog, is Ribbone's partner in the blood drive. Love all this. This is so, so good. Oh, I, I missed a, a big plot point here. Uh, but the one of the major issues they're having is the scholar has been kidnapped by the father. And they're going to turn him into food. Uh, amongst all the fighting here. They are trying to escape, and, and they're just going to be like, we're going to set up life elsewhere. We're found out here. We have to go. In midst all this chaos, we'll sneak out. Arthur and Grace show up to save the scholar. And because Arthur's a good guy, uh, the son, the son-in-law, attempts to kill uh, Arthur slips on some blood and falls into a meat grinder, which causes the father to say, I told him to keep the floors clean. Great callback. Absolutely great callback there. Uh, they attempt to escape, but Arthur can't get the car to start. So the scholar, because he's brilliant, 
uses the power of the bomb in Arthur's head to jumpstart the car. This infuriates the gentleman because he's helping another team. But the scholar is repaying Arthur and Grace for saving his life. And they escape the cannibals. That's episode two. I gotta talk faster. I have so much more notes, too. Episode three, Steel City Nightfall in Utah. This time we're starting with the married couple, Dami and Cliff. Uh, they're trying to uh, win, of course, but Dami's asleep, and when Cliff tries to change the radio station, Dami threatens to kill him. <laughs> I will cut your fingers off, shove them up a monkey's ass, and make you chase them. time is it? We should be at the finish line by now. Don't be a pussy. Go faster. Oh, we could go faster if you hadn't bought this piece of shit. My friend! Tone. Yes, dear. So we're going to spend a little bit of time with this couple throughout this episode. Uh, once again, Grace and Arthur are behind. I don't know why they're so bad at driving. And Arthur's like, we could take a shortcut through Steel City. Steel City used to build cars. They're like, no, we can't go through Steel City. But then they become so far behind that they have to. And we get the title of the uh, episode, Steel City Nightfall, and it kind of is superimposed on a gasoline, uh, like a gas station uh, where you get the gas out of that has been like ripped to shreds. Foreshadowing. Lovely done. Now, while this is all happening, we see Slink on hold with like the shareholders. They keep uh, saying his name wrong, calling him Joshua instead of Julian. And he's getting notes on how to make blood drive better. And he has to just sit there as he becomes more and more infuriated where these people are just like, you need to raise the stakes. The stakes are not high enough here. Slink's like, but it's, they're cars that run on blood and their lives are on the line. It's like, nope, not good enough. You, you need to do more. Uh, now that Arthur and, and Grace are forced to take the shortcut because everybody has passed them, uh, now that they're forced to take the shortcut because everyone has passed them, they are running through this, like, everything, it kind of looks like a junkyard. Everything is, like, really metal and, uh, like, they, they look like some things have been, like, compacted, and they drive the wrong way, and they end up in a trap. So Arthur and Grace get out of the car and hide. Meanwhile, this cult comes out to kind of like steal the car. But I love this cult. This is so wonderfully done. They are all upper management, like, yes men. Like, they're, <laughs> they look like Mad Max barbarians, but they are definitely still wearing a suit and they all still are wearing their lanyards. I, oh God, it's such a like interesting thing to do. To have this kind of like 
upper management, like corporate entities being a cult. And in one of my favorite moments, one of the girls says something like, What about the driver? We can't leave them here. Remember your jargon and be above board. We should air this out. These assets are actionable. Doesn't matter. Let's take the 10,000 foot view here. They're not empowered. They'll be dead by sundown. And that's like the only way that they really understand each other. And then they steal the car. The idea of them being forced to use these like key phrases and like, you know, key words and this corporate jargon to be part of the cult is so brilliant. And it leads to a part where Grace looks at Arthur and goes, wow, these people are crazy. And it's a great juxtaposition of these people who are psychopaths. They are murdering people to power a car to win $10 million. Can look at people with like desk jobs and be like, that's insanity. So good. So, so good. <laughs> uh, we then see them, the, the cult steal the car and the uh, supervisor comes out, who's the leader of the cult. <laughs> and they pray to synergy and they do like some stretching slash cult dancing to praise synergy for giving them a car. Oh, it's so good. It's so, so good. Uh Meanwhile, uh, the couple, Dom and Cliff, are dealing with Clown Dick, and uh, they're trying to respark their marriage because they used to be so in love in the way that they used to murder people together. And now the spark's not there. They don't savor the kill anymore. They just throw them in the engine, and it's not exciting anymore. As Clown Dick is, like, bothering them, they want to throw something at them, at Clown Dick, so that they can, like, blind him. So we have this almost, like, scrapbook moment where she's pulling out body parts like, oh, remember this? This was the bellhop that we killed on our honeymoon. Uh, don't throw that. Don't throw that. <laughs> and eventually they find, like, a liver that they're willing to part with. They throw it at the windshield, blood splatters all over the car, and they're able to get away. I just, I love the storytelling of, of the couple as well. We then get more Slink on the phone, and it's him getting these notes. The notes include... You know what? There are just a few things that are missing in some of these relationship scenes, and we'd love it if you'd consider adding maybe some ADR, some different music choices. We need more clown dick. I'll make sure we stay ahead of the curve. <laughs> and the Grease Arthur thing feels kind of okay, but, you know, a little bit stagnant. Jonathan! Julian. Oh, oh, this comes from the old man. Uh, he wondered if you can orchestrate a moment early on when Grace can really show her affection for Arthur? But they've already fucked to save their lives here. Yeah, that's called drama. Well, it's a cross-country blood race with no racing. Uh-huh. It's a mood piece. These are all things that were just added to the show. 
They were talking about the importance of relationship, and then all of a sudden, now we're getting the stuff about Dami and Cliff. They want more clown dick. We get more clown dick. We get a scene of the two, of clown dick and the couple racing down the road. We get more racing in this. This is where the true brilliance of Blood Drive is coming out. Because what we're really getting is multiple stories happening at once. We have the story of the Blood Drive. We have the story of Chris and Aki, which I know we haven't touched on much, but not super a lot has happened in that part of the story. We'll get more. We'll get more. And we get the story of what happens when the Blood Drive, this show that we're watching, is placed in the hands of something corporate. Something that really can't air on television being forced onto, te- onto TV. What happens when art meets corporation? And it's mirrored in the reflection here of the blood drive being captured by this corporation. Grace and Arthur's blood drive vehicle is being taken by a corporate entity. And that's exactly what's happening to the show. The parallels here are so good. (laughs) I love it here. And we're going to see more stuff like that throughout this. But, like, this is the turning point where this show becomes super fun to a brilliant piece of art. So, Arthur and Grace get the supervisor alone to kind of explain their situation that they need to get out of here. They need their car back. And the supervisor, uh, (laughs) like starts talking to them and Arthur's like, Oh good. You speak English. The idea that they couldn't understand them when they were speaking the jargon. Hilarious. They explain what has happened to steel city. Basically heart enterprises was trying to come up with an alternative to gasoline because we were running out. They created something called trioxide. Trioxide got into the water and people got addicted to it. And they became these things called the gleamers. The gleamers are basically zombies, but they are destroyed by light. So as long as they keep the lights on, they are safe. And the supervisor is like, oh yeah, by the way, when you snuck in here, did you close the door behind you? And Arthur and Grace look at each other like, yeah? And then all of a sudden they are surrounded by eyes. In the darkness are the gleamers. Uh, they're trying to explain uh, what's going on here. So they, the supervisor takes a little bit of gasoline and pours it on the ground. The gleamer tries to drink some. They shine a light on him and he explodes. Uh, like coating them in in the blood of the gleamer. Uh, They need to get out of here before the sun goes down or else they're totally screwed. Uh, So they need gasoline to power the door out of here. Arthur's like, I'll go with the supervisor. You stay with the car. We'll, We'll get out of here. They're led through this doorway, but there's where it's still lit. While the rest of like the corporate business people are dealing with the fact that they're in the dark with the gleamers, and I'm going to play in full a jargon-based panic that I just love. Oh my God, we're gonna die. Three core values. We're over the wall. It is what it is. We have no leverage. 
But we have to move the needle. There are so many moving parts. I'm aware. We're out of fucking pocket. Think outside the box. What's done is done. It's time to make some impact. Yes, sir. 110%? 110%. Let's make hay. Uh, it should also be noticed another just like little corporate thing that I love. The reason that these people are not gleamers is that they were not drinking the water because they were all in the middle of a juice cleanse. God, flavor like that is so freaking good. As I, I'm falling in love with all of this, we get more notes. The notes are, this is too much grace now. Where is the gentleman? And the gleamers are a bit of a hat on a hat. Which I kind of love because the gleamers seem so dumb, but they will be a vital part of the story going forward. Not at least into the next episode. As they're going to get the gasoline for the door, uh, Arthur gives in as like, all right, I'll just tell you the truth. The car actually runs on human blood. The supervisor then realizes that this is her way out. So she locks uh, Arthur in the closet, steals the gasoline, and is going to head to the car. That is when a bored Grace is like, you know what? I'm covered in this gleamer blood. I should probably feed it to the car. And when she does, she realizes it supercharges the car. So she's like, oh my God, I got to tell Arthur this. And she goes looking for Arthur. Meanwhile, <laughs> because Grace is gone now, the supervisor is able to jump into the car and she's going to bail. One of her cult members is like, are you leaving? What about all the trust exercises we did? God, I love how this is written. It's so funny. Arthur and Grace reunite. Grace was able to save Arthur from the car and he's, or from the, the locked room he's in. And he's like, we got to get out of here. The supervisor lied. They don't have any food. They're like about to die. She's going to try to steal the car. As they're running back, Arthur hears a cry for help. Arthur, being the man that he is, can't resist. So he turns around to help this person and realizes from the darkness, it is a gleamer that is saying this. He can't bear the fact that this is a person that needs help, but is also a monster. So he kills it. And we see like this change in Arthur. We then cut to Chris. Remember Christopher and Aki? Uh, Chris has returned to Aki. Uh, I think the, the idea here is the best way to take down Hart is from the inside. So he's going to play along. Uh, Aki is giving him the test from Blade Runner. Like you see a turtle flipped on its shell. What do you do? Uh, and... Every time Chris answers, she electrocutes him. And then he tries to just say what he wants, what he thinks she wants to hear. So she electrocutes him. The cool thing about Aki as a character, uh, like I'm so jealous as an actor that I can never play Aki because Aki is so interesting. She is a robot. 
So, like, she never blinks. But her motions clearly also control things. So to shock Christopher, she kind of has to vogue, which is such, like, an interesting idea. So she just keeps shocking him and, like, doing dance moves. It's, like, it's such a fun character. So I'm so I'm so jealous. Aki tries to kind of brainwash Christopher here and like you think your partner's so important and really cares about you. He's busy doing this and shows Christopher the video of him and Grace having sex in the car. Uh, she then spits up a giant needle and stabs him in the belly button. <laughs> and uh, Christopher's like didn't feel a thing. And Aki's like, I'll make sure you feel the next thing. And kind of like lays on his chest and kind of explains that he Aki could have just taken Christopher to the fracking mines, but Aki sees something special in Christopher. There's some sort of connection here that she can't even verbalize as a robot. Sleek is back at the finish line and we're, we're going to blow up the heads of those in last. The couple have made it and... Uh, they are in a tent together, uh, getting, like, kind of intimate. And he pulls out an eyeball. And she responds, oh, is that my something blue you remembered? And they kiss while passing this eyeball back and forth between their mouths. Um... It's kind of beautiful. <laughs> like, I know it's gross, and I know it's weird, but, like, it's nice that, like, these two absolutely crazy people were able to still find each other and share in this very weird thing. I don't know. When I watched this, Laura was away on her trip, and I was kind of just like, I'm really glad that I found a person that will watch weird television shows with me and go on weird adventures to conventions and stuff. And I, I don't think you're supposed to get misty-eyed watching the scene, but I missed Laura at that moment. <laughs> so just like, aw. Aw, that's so nice. Uh, anyway, <laughs> while I'm swooning at the, this couple, uh, Clown Dick rolls up and sees an attractive woman and stops a few feet from the finish line so he can make out with this girl. And Slink's like, mm, you might want to step on it there. Uh, Grace and Arthur, with their now powered-up car from the Glimmers, fly past <laughs> the finish line. Clown Dick's head explodes all over the woman he's making out with. <laughs> and... Uh, <laughs> They find out that this trioxin is, like, very valuable and, of course, was created by Hard Enter Enterprises. Uh, Slink gives them a compliment and is like, good show, love the ending. Uh, Grace then goes up to uh, the scholar and makes a deal with the scholar that she will give him some of this... Uh, trioxide to power up his car if 
the scholar can help them with the bombs in the back of their head. It turns out that Karma's sister is in an asylum that's actually not too far off the route that to the next pit stop. Uh, I forget exactly how they learn that information. I think Christopher gives it to uh, Arthur on the phone. Uh, I'm sorry, I didn't bring it up earlier. So they realize that this might be a chance for Grace to find her sister. Because Grace knows that Karma is in this asylum and it's not too far off the beaten path. If they go off the beaten path, Slink will know something is up and kill them. So they got to get these things out of their heads. Scholar's like, it's not possible. I'm sorry, it's just not possible. And Grace is like, okay, I will give you this trioxide if you can deactivate the, uh, like the, the, walkie-talkie, the remote control that Slink has for just like a few hours. And they have a deal. We then cut to the old man in that Dr. Claw shot where you only see one of his hands watching this, painting his fingernails pink. I believe this is meant to hint that the identity of this old man is actually a woman. Perhaps karma. Episode four in the Crimson Halls of Cane Hill. I love that this starts with a PSA, white text on a black screen, warning us that Red Rapture is a dangerous drug. It's basically the same thing you'll see in like a very special episode of anything where they're dealing with an actual drug. It's like, oh, they're smoking the marijuana. They put this up to kind of say, hey, we're, this is a serious topic. The fact that they treat Red Rapture this way in this show is fantastic. So after this kind of like stern warning, we switch to sugar do 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 Oh, honey, honey. And we get this disturbing commercial where we see like this family where their eyes are all weird. Think Black Hole Sun. And the candy man comes. It's, uh, you know, think an ice cream man, but it's candy. And the father of the family wants some candy. But not just any candy. Smacks candy. S-M-A-X. Smacks. And uh, he's buying all the candy, chocolates, jawbreakers, gum, giant lollipops, to the point where he's eaten all of the candy man's candy. So he breaks into a rage and murders him with some head clippers by Smack's Candy. We also see a asylum. In the asylum, we see a nurse giving Smack's Candy to inmates on Halloween. It is, in fact, Halloween. We see the inmates eat it. We see their eyes kind of grow, and we cut to the mayhem party. Now, the plan is Grace and Arthur are going to slip away from the mayhem party and head to Cane Hill Asylum to find Karma, Grace's sister. Slink is with his kind of manservant he has, which is this guy covered in tattoos, who is doing dental work on him for some reason. 
I, they never really explain it, but Slink gets upset and is like, if you want something done right, do it yourself, and starts drilling into his own mouth. Don't know what the deal is here. <laughs> but he realizes that uh, Grace and Arthur have left the Mayhem Party, and Slink's not going to have any of it, so he turns up the controller and nothing happens. He finds that it has been tampered with. We know it's by the scholar. He doesn't realize that. So he's very, very upset that this happened. So he's going to send Ribbone after them. So he looks at his servant and he says, where's Ribbone? And if you say, I don't know, I will use that drill on your urethra. The manservant spreads his legs and goes, I don't know. <laughs> so there's quite the relationship between these two. Meanwhile, uh, Grace and Arthur show up to uh, the asylum, and Grace is ready to smash heads. Arthur says, let's do this the calm way. Let's try to just talk it out. Remember, you catch more flies with sugar. And Grace says, fine, we'll do it your way. But it's honey, stupid. They go into the asylum to find everyone there is a bit off. They're dressed in Halloween costumes, because it's Halloween, and they're not really giving them straight answers. Uh, but they sure notice a lot of candy wrappers. So as they're searching the asylum, Slink finds Ribbone and sends Ribbone to the asylum to retrieve the, his two lost sheep and return them to the flock and reminds Ribbone that he wants Grace brought back alive. Just the cop, the girl I want alive. Ribbone takes his wonderful dog Caligula and heads down to the asylum. And at the asylum, we are given clues that the people in the cells are actually the doctors. And get this, you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna be blown away. The inmates, they're running the asylum. We then cut to a naked Christopher. I know we've seen him naked many times, but he's asleep in a field. He's having a wonderful dream. And when he wakes up, Aki is looking over him and says, must have been some dream. And they are using the black sensor bar to make it look like he has a giant erection. Uh, it's, it's fun with censorship. I appreciate it. We now learn that today's uh, agenda for Christopher is Aki is going to harvest all of Christopher's bodily fluids so he, they can make a backup Christopher if necessary. And then the words... The milking of Christopher appear on screen. We're in for a wild one, folks. So while we're at the asylum, I know we're, we're going to be jumping around a lot in this episode. Uh, while we're at the asylum, uh, Grace is talking about how she wants to find her sister. And we get some flashbacks to what happened with her sister. We actually see Karma and her arrive at a rave. And Grace is very sexually dressed. And explains to Karma that she just needs some time alone with the Primo. Because the Primo can make their lives so much easier. Maybe they can go to school. 
And Karma's like, so you're going to have sex with some guy for me? And Grace is like, yeah, just hang out. You can have a beer, but don't do any drugs. This is weird to me because we're supposed to believe that the blood drive is kind of a secret. It's like an underground race because it's illegal and like insane that it's something that the public doesn't know about. But the public clearly knows who the primo is and you become the primo by winning the blood drive. So I'm a little confused here on how this all works and how this all gets put together, but it's, it's confusing. Grace and Arthur split up and Arthur finds a nurse. The nurse explains that the inmates all went crazy or crazier when they were given the Smacks candy. The asylum has not been a real hospital for years. It has been nothing more than a testing ground for heart enterprises. And they've been experimenting on the inmates with various things, the latest thing being this candy, which led to this insane uprising. So the only way that they're going to survive this is if they don't look like authority figures. If they look like nurses or doctors or police officers, they're going to get killed. So they strip Arthur down to his underwear and they're just roaming through the hallways, giving us exposition while occasionally just like slapping each other and screaming to blend in. It's fun. Uh, the nurse says that if she can get saved by Arthur, the apple pie's on her, which I respond with, ew, apple pie is terrible. We then go to another flashback. I know we're jumping all over the place here, but as they're searching for karma, we have this flashback where Grace actually does find the primo. We don't see who the primo is, but Grace is seducing the primo, but needs a little bit more time. Grace then does Red Rapture, which, like... Sick clouds, sick red clouds are pulled with the red rapture pipe. And you see her immediately change physically, just like her eyes become more sunken. She becomes sweatier. It's not something you should be playing with, clearly. We had a PSA in the beginning. You should have paid attention to that. But the suspicious thing is at this rave, the DJ is Slink. So Slink has his hands in this already. Now, when we come back from the, the flashback, we basically learned that red is a lot like Smacks, the, the candy, but red makes you feel euphoric. It makes you feel wonderful. Smacks makes you feel like a hunter, but the hunt never ends. So everyone's like really violent and crazy. We then cut back to Christopher, who is naked, tied to a table, and being messed with by Aki. Aki is explaining that she believes that Christopher deserves pleasure and gives him like a Spider-Man kiss. Like she's over top of him and does like the upside down kiss. And then she pulls away and then like a pipe comes out of her mouth and goes into his throat to like harvest saliva or stomach bile. Boom. We got one of the fluids, but we're still many to go. I need you to drink this. And she like kicks her leg up in the air and a drink appears next to Christopher. Because once again, weird motions cause Aki to make things appear. Love that about her character. Super, super fun. Grace hunts down the doctor that checked in Karma. 
And the doctor explains that karma was checked out by them. All that she, all that he really says, checked out by them, and that Grace has to save her. A lunatic then shows up and electrocutes him, and he dies. Uh, it should be mentioned. I, I forgot to say this. Uh, there were some inmates in the cells still, but Ribbone has shown up and flipped a switch and let everybody out and has put a bounty on the heads of Arthur and Grace. Whoever brings them to him will get some candy. So Ribbone, pretty good plan, I must say. Like, he just gets to chill out, <laughs> wait for the psychos to do his work for him. He's got it. He's got it figured out. When he makes this announcement, everybody starts fighting Grace and Arthur, who have reunited along with this nurse. And there's like a very strange fight scene that I don't quite understand where it keeps freeze framing. And at times, like he'll throw a punch and then it will reverse and then he'll throw it again. I don't know if they're just kind of throwing stuff at the wall here or if because it's an asylum, it's meant to look crazy or something. But it's a weird choice that comes out of nowhere. I would have been more behind this if we had gotten a moment where Hart was talking to Slink about wanting more special effects or more artsy look or something. This kind of feels out of nowhere, and I feel like it should be like, there should be a line somehow drawn to that, but it's not clear. We, we get another quick flashback. I'm just going to blow through this. Uh, Karma continues to do drugs. That's really all you need to know on that. I know that's not what you're interested in. You want to hear more about the milking of Christopher. Aki is sucking on Christopher's toes. Cool. Uh, and whatever Christopher drank makes him have to go to the bathroom. Aki disappears under the table and then appears through a trap door between Christopher's legs and says, if you want the best apple, you have to pick it yourself and then reaches into his butt to get poop. And this, as someone who already doesn't like apples, this is horrible. This is probably the worst part of the show for me. I, I dislike this. Uh, the nurse and Arthur and Grace make it to the lobby. The nurse then looks at Ribbone and says, hey, I want my candy. Ribbone throws candy to the nurse. The nurse has been crazy the whole time. Twist! So this leads to a fight between Arthur and Ribbone. They're battling back and forth. They're the two big dogs. He's got the Roman Reigns thing on, remember? They're the two big dogs, and they're fighting it out in the asylum. This triggers yet another flashback for Grace. And it turns out that Karma was checked into the asylum by Grace because of her drug addiction. I think we're supposed to take it that it was a different asylum. That's why she didn't know where Grace was. Or that's why Grace didn't know where Karma was. I think that's what we're supposed to take, that she was transferred and then she got lost. I think that's what we're supposed to get out of this. But when she leaves the asylum, Slink is leaning against her car and explaining that he just gave her car an upgrade and that she should head to L.A. So basically, Slink recruits Grace into the blood drive to pay for the bills for Grace in the asylum. Meanwhile, Arthur is talking so much crap 
to Ribbone, saying, like, are you this gentle in bed? Ribbone's getting more and more angry, throws Arthur through a window, but all that does is get him access to, like, cocoa powder? And he runs up to Ribbone and says, Dumps the sugar all over uh, Ribbone, and he is eaten by the members of the asylum. And uh, we don't know what happens to Caligula, and I don't like that. Caligula did nothing wrong. Caligula was a perfect princess and is now without owner, and I don't like that. And surrounded by chocolate, which is bad for dogs. And worst worst of all, the uh, there's a fire starting in the asylum, so there's going to be an explosion. Now, while this fire and explosion is being teased, we get shots of Christopher. Aki is saying how much she likes Christopher because he's full of spunk. She now needs to extract said spunk and asks if Christopher would like the probe or the hand. Christopher chooses the hand We then see some very quick hand motions and mechanical sounds. And as it builds and builds and builds, we get to the point of eruption. And that's when the explosion happens, which it's very nicely done. It's fun. I I do not know what happened to Caligula, and I am concerned. After uh, There's a weird moment after this where... This makes Christopher cry because he's been through so much. And Aki also harvests the tear. And it's unclear what she means, but she says something that implies that the tear was the only thing she was actually after. Like, she didn't need all the fluids. She just, fluids. She just needed Christopher's tears, which is weird. And she looks at it in a way that says that a robot doesn't understand tears. You know, because robots don't cry. The moral of the story is, Christopher had all of his fluids harvested. Arthur and Grace make it back to the Mayhem Party, and Ribbone is dead. Slink is very upset that these two had run off, and now the uh, walkie-talkie remote control thing is fixed, but he is not going to kill them. However, Grace learns, after walking through the asylum, that Slink actually worked at that asylum. So once again, Slink has his hands in everything and is manipulating Grace into participating in this race. No wonder his fingers are so dirty. And that is going to do it for episode one. So we're doing something a little bit new here. We're going to try doing episode two on Friday. Try to get more episode, more content out. But this is the limit for what I can get out by Wednesday. So I hope you've been enjoying Blood Drive. Uh, We will be covering, if you want to do the reading before class on Friday, 
Uh, we'll be reviewing uh, 5, 6, and 7 in the next episode. Uh, sorry for the weird three-parter. This didn't turn out the way I thought it would, but this seemed to be what's best for everyone. If you have a problem with it, please complain, and I will take your complaints into consideration. I again apologize. But if you love this idea that if things are longer, that we'll split things up, but within the same week, let me know. It's going to screw up my YouTube algorithm, so know that I do that because I love you guys and I want you to enjoy these episodes as soon as possible. Thank you so much for joining me for another edition of Stay Doomed. We can be reached at the Stay Doomed Show at gmail.com and you can also reach us on Twitch. No, you can't reach us on Twitch. On Twitter at Stay Doomed. And if you want to talk to me about Blood Drive, I'm at Plus Two Comedy. Until next time, stay doomed. <laughs>